Mac Power Users, episode 256. Mac Power Users Live for May 9th, 2015. Welcome back to the very first Mac Power Users Live on Relay FM, and we made it off without a hitch. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with my pal David Sparks. Welcome, David. Hello, Katie Floyd. Happy Saturday <laughs> morning to you. I'm doing great this Saturday. Oh, it's Saturday afternoon for me, but that's you know all right. I really, I really like about this new um, live chat room is is the leather couch. I mean, we never had one of those before. I'm I'm just kind of going to relax here for today. Did they get your M&M situation straightened out? Yeah, all fixed up. Good. Much better. Good. I'm, I'm glad they got that resolved for you. Uh, so as always, when we, we start off these live shows, we do like to start these off with a guest. And we're starting off with a returning guest. Uh, we'd like to welcome back to Mac Power users, Darren Boss uh, from Boss Organization. Welcome back. Thanks, you guys. Great to be back and uh, enjoying this new couch. Yeah, it's, it's nice and fluffy. Yeah. Darren's kind Leather of Leather is the way to go. Yeah, exactly. I I insisted upon it. Yeah, I insisted. Darren Darren is an intimidating guy. If you meet him, he's very handsome. <laughs> he's a playwright. He's got brains. He's got beauty. Boy, you get the whole package. But I, I'm approachable, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, yeah, I guess. But yeah. but then then you sent us an email talking about, and you read, wrote this great post about uh, paprika, which we talked about once on the show before. Um, and, uh, but you wrote this really detailed post on paprika. I'm thinking not only is he good looking and smart, he's also a cook. I'm like, I am, I'm keeping this guy away from my wife. That's what I decided. (laughs) Well, I, you know, what we'll talk about today, specifically meal planning, which is what I wrote the post on. I mean, I I can now make my way around the kitchen. I don't know if I'd go as far as cook, but, uh, but it, it does, it does help. Well, you, it, well, reading the post, I have to say, it sounded like you're very good at this stuff. So maybe you're not. Yeah. I think I, I think you have to come down and cook a meal for me one day when my when my wife's not home. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Involves- your kids may throw you out, David. They'll be like, well, "We like this guy better." Yeah. Sorry, involves- Dad. We're we're upgrading. <laughs> well, meal planning involves you know some of my favorite stuff like geekery, uh, apps, iPads organization so it's got it all you know well and also from a practicality standpoint it makes a lot of sense i mean you can save a ton of time and money if if you take a little bit of time to go ahead and and plan your meals yes absolutely like those are two of the biggest benefits if you can go into it sounds i think meal planning to some people sounds a little bit intimidating like maybe a bit too martha stewart or you know a little over the top, but I've found uh, using it, especially with paprika, that it uh, it can save you money, it can save you time, and uh, it really. I look forward to cooking during the week if I have a plan in place. It's like anything else; like go in with a plan, and it, it makes things a lot better. Yeah, one of the things I've started doing as I've gotten busier is I've started kind of like pre-cooking meals for the week. And so I'll, I'll try to, and it's, it's getting a little old because I tend to do the same things over and over again. So I'm really interested in, in the ideas that you've got here, but I'll try to think of something that I can cook or a couple of things that I can cook on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday and eat on those all week or things that I can prepare and then just throw in the crock pot during the week and, and kind of eat lunches and dinners off of those all week. So I'm excited to hear what you've got for us. The, the thing yeah, I like great. 
the thing I like about Paprika, we sp- first spoke about with Skip Owens in show 228, the NASA rocket scientist. <laughs> and, um, the and rocket scientist uses yeah, Paprika. And, yeah. I, and uh, as soon as we recorded it, I he got me so inspired I went and bought it. And Paprika is multi-platform. It's on the Mac and iOS. And I think at the time I, I bought it, it was separate versions for iPad and iPhone. And then it all went on sale for like 50% off the day the show published. So I totally missed Funny that. Funny how that happens. <laughs> but the... Um, but it, it's really great. And we've been using it in our family, too. And somebody uh, sent me a link. I didn't even realize it. Somebody had some because you can submit recipes. Somebody had re- submitted Max Sparky bratwurst. <laughs> and uh, so that's like in the in the list. But uh, like, like, you know, like Skip, you know, everybody is uh, it has kind of uh, found their way to this paprika app. And at one point, you know, meal planning, it was just a hodgepodge. Don't you like the way I did that um, of different? applications and and they were all about the same it seemed like but that's not the case anymore i think paprika has really risen to the top but i'm I'm on a roll yeah i think well i found i found paprika when sweet setup uh selected it as you know they survey a bunch of apps in a category and they selected it as the best recipe manager um, out of all the ones they picked. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really well-deserved. I've used ones in the past, but I, I think, uh, it's really well-designed. Um, it works, uh, it's really intuitive overall. It's a great app. Yeah. Right, they're already suggesting a show title called Max Sparky Bratwurst. No. I don't know. <laughs> no, veto. All right. So tell us a little bit about, about your system. How, how, can, how can you help me with, with my meal planning? I know you, you kind of laid out for us, a, or at least in the, in the preview, you laid out for us kind of a, a four-step approach. And, and I know you've got an offer for our listeners where, where you can help teach them some stuff, too, if they're, if they're not here with us. So talk to us a little bit about how, how your process works. Yeah, absolutely. So this all comes from a guest post uh, that I wrote on my friend uh, Brooke McLary's blog. She's Australian, uh, and the po- and the, her blog is called Slow Your Home. But we'll have links to that. But uh, basically, I have a four step process um, that's you know similar to task management, um, but a little more basic. And it starts uh, with theming. And, uh, that's the one step that takes, uh, place outside of paprika. Um, and I picked it up from other blogs that I had read about, um, meal planning, uh, but it's a really helpful step. So the basic idea is that you just take, uh, a week, uh, you know, list Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then pick, um, for like a season for like spring, uh, pick a theme for each day so that, uh, like Tuesday might be soup or chili. And then, uh, you can also do like Saturday. I'm going to try something new. Sunday is an old favorite. And that was such a helpful step to me because when you go into uh, your paprika database that you're building up, which I'll cover in the next step, capture, uh, it can be really helpful. You'll be making a lot of decisions already in this. And it can be really helpful just to be like, Tuesday, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for soup. And then you can just search for the soups that you have in paprika or, uh, or the blogs that you're going over. So that's the first step is uh, theming, theming your week. 
Okay. So theming is figuring out kind of what you want to do and, and other things that you want to have. All right. So yeah. one, once you figure out kind of what you want to do with your week and, and the types of things based on what you've got going on that week and, and maybe time commitments, what's, what do you, how do you figure out then what you're actually going to cook? So the next, the next step, and, and this one's interchangeable. Like when you first get paprika, you'll probably spend some time doing this. But the next step is capturing. And uh, at, paprika has an in-app browser um, so that uh, you can go to, they have a bunch of bookmark sites already built into it. Um, but basically you can go to most recipe sites and hit the save recipe at the bottom and it will just like Instapaper, it'll suck it all in and put it into uh, the categories. And if it doesn't, um, then it has the ability for you to highlight like the name of the recipe, like lentil chili, and you would highlight that. And then at the bottom, they have the different categories. So you would tell paprika, okay, that's the name. So it makes it really easy. And, um, and I cover in the post, you know, there's other ways to capture stuff. You can copy and paste from uh, your Kindle um, and uh, eBooks. And I also talk about um, a website. Uh, it's, it's basically a web app uh, called Eat Your Books. It's at eatyourbooks.com. And the idea behind that is that you can take... Um, your physical cookbooks and enter it, say, I own these cookbooks. And then it gives you kind of this super index. Um, so you don't have to pull down one book from the shelf and say, I'm looking for a soup. You can just type in soups and it'll like search through all the contents of your books and, and give you a list of the soups that you have that you've told eat your books you own. Does that make well, sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, part of me, this is a thing that's been on the back of my mind for a while is we've got a whole shelf full of cooking books Yeah, and it's, it's completely nuts. You know, the, the guy who wrote the paperless book looks at it every day and, and it like <laughs> it bugs me, you know? Yeah. Um, so this is a way to kind of utilize those books. Uh, they just recently, I think changed their pricing model. So they have a free account where you can put five books in, um, and and search those five books and then beyond that i think it's a subscription model but just to try it out you know to try those five books and uh and that way it doesn't get too overwhelming too i think um because there's so much recipes and stuff on um the internet that you can quickly kind of overflow paprika but my suggestion of course as a professional organizer is to sort of uh go slowly you know put stuff in I recommend like uh, similar to what Katie was talking about that uh, she has standard meals that she keeps going back to. I think that's a good thing, especially in meal planning, because you'll get more confident the more times you cook something. Um, so I recommend like putting at least uh, uh, eventually 12 meals together that will work to you, which I call the delightful dozen. And that's um, not too overwhelming. And that's not too overwhelming. Yeah. And if you look at my example to go back, like I on Saturdays is usually when I try something new. So I am trying a new recipe every week. Um, but um, but it's nice to have those standards in. So that's that's the second step 
uh, you know, it's, capturing. It, it's funny. It kind of reminds me of the advice we give so often about technology, you know, whether it's keyboard shortcuts or new applications, you know, sometimes people will, will find our show and they'll write me an email. They're like, oh, this is great. I bought Keyboard Maestro and Hazel and OmniFocus and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, and they're doing all at once. I, I always have to write them back. Say, look, just pick one and get good Absolutely. at it first. And yeah. I guess this, that, that applies to so much of life, but but cooking as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you'll go slow because it, it can become, I have to, I have to watch myself because as a kid, you know, I collected baseball cards. And so I can enter a lot of situations in my life. Like I'm collecting baseball cards again. And, um, at where, you know, there was an emphasis over quantity and not quality. So I try to pace it's uh, self-protective. I try to pace myself. So, you know, put in a few recipes, try those recipes. If those recipes don't work, you know, it's easy to delete them from paprika. So, Okay, important question. Did yes. you ever actually chew the gum? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, there was a certain point, there was a certain point, David, where I wasn't opening the packs, you know, where I was uh, just buying the boxes. Wow, man, you got serious. <laughs> I got serious. That was like the dr- <laughs> that was like the drug trade of my childhood. I had older <laughs> sisters and the um their boyfriends would come over and they they would literally hand me a pack of baseball cards as they walked in the door and I would leave them alone. <laughs> the payment. Oh boy. All right. So, we've got them themed, we've got our stuff captured. We've, we've got them captured. And so the next the next thing is uh scheduling, uh which Paprika is uh, built for, and really one of the advantages of going uh, digital are these two next steps. So there's scheduling. So I recommend you just look at your calendar. Maybe it's Fantastical. See if you have anything, events, like what your week looks like. Like maybe you have a babysitter on Friday night. So um, so you you're going to just leave something for the babysitter as opposed to doing a, a big meal. And then uh, you can see in my blog post, and then I have a screencast too that folks can uh, watch to get a idea of Paprika, but it's basically just dragging. Paprika has a calendar right in the app and it's dragging your recipes from the database into those separate days. And then that leads into the fourth step, which is making lists, um, which is one of the things that I love most about Paprika. So once you have your week planned out, um, you just go to the share button at the top of Paprika, hit that, and you can say send to grocery list. And then it sends, before it sends it to the grocery list, it'll show you so you can go through and uh, select anything that you might already have. And they have a, in the Mac version, they have a pantry thing too. So you can put your staples there already. Um, and then it sends it automatically to a grocery list. And the grocery list is really nicely formatted by aisles and categories. And then because, uh, there's a Mac, uh, and iOS version, and they have their own sync agent engine. It, it flows really well. So I, I use the Mac version mostly at home. I use the iPad when I'm cooking. And then I use the iPhone uh, version when I'm in the store to go around and uh, check what I have. 
Um, so that's basically it. The four step process, theming, capturing, scheduling, and then list. So how do you manage like multiple shopping lists? Do you do everything in Paprika? Do you keep a separate one? I do everything in Paprika. Um, and you can add, uh, you, you can add items manually, uh, to your Paprika list too. Um, so that even if it's outside of the meal plan, you can just go to the the grocery list is another tab. So you can just go and manually add something, you know, like ice cream or whatever. That's, that's always on my shopping list. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, so, uh, sorry, go ahead. Is this, what? is this something that you do every week? Is this something that you do weeks kind of when you, when you feel like things are getting overwhelming? Uh, or? I would love to say that I do it every week, Katie, but, um, it, I, I try to do it as often as possible. I mean, uh, you know, I have two young boys and uh, growing business and everything. So it doesn't happen every week um, for me, but it does. The times that I do it, which is uh, more and more, it works out really well. And it also, it I find that the more I do it and the more... Um, I'm getting more comfortable in the kitchen and uh, repeating meals. I can uh, one of two things. I link to one of uh, David's home screen posts. Uh, Stephen Grassy is that right, David? His last name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, he talks about uh, paprika in his home screen post, and he says I can literally uh, throw together a meal plan in the parking lot which I've found to be true too. And if that doesn't happen, uh, because I'm repeating these meals and getting used to the meal planning process, I've been able to just do it on the fly. So no digital at all, just go into the grocery store and I can at least put together two meals because I've done those two meals, you know, over uh, the last couple of months. So it really, it's the gift. Meal planning is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I've got one uh, question for you. How do you yeah. de deal with this with your wife? Because I've been using paprika and it's been kind of a solo operation at this point. Right. Um, I don't I haven't really looked into collaborating with her on it. Um, have you? Well, I this comes from my uh, days as a stay at home dad. I'm sort of a I, I sort of I really <laughs> I grudgingly let my wife. Uh, grocery shop so most weeks it's me doing it so I i'm in control <laughs> so <laughs> i can see that with you darren <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well there's actually no, i am picking the cantaloupe this week <laughs> it's usually the opposite with my wife and i's relationship but with groceries uh yeah i want it i want to do it i'm a little bit of a control freak about it Awesome. So in, in terms of getting started, really, it sounds like the only thing you need is the Paprika app. And, and you can start with just one of them, although it sounds like it in terms of the shopping list support, it's it's nice to have one of the iOS apps. Yeah, I, I, I almost think that I think that for me, because I think that the capture is uh, faster and quicker for me on the Mac app. But I think if you were going to uh start with one you could definitely the ipad one is so helpful uh to have in the kitchen and it is really a good app 
to cook with too. It has timers within it. Um, you can tap on ingredients as you're using them and it'll, uh, run a line through them. Um, so it, it works really well, um, in the kitchen too. But, um, yeah, I would start with the iOS app. And as David said, I jumped on that sale. Um, I, I, I think all apps are, all of the apps are reasonably priced, but yeah, last fall they had a really nice sale where it was, I guess, half off. So look out for that too. Awesome. Well, Darren, thanks so much for coming on and and sharing your workflow with us. I know that meal planning is something that I've been wanting to get more into. And uh, certainly having a little technology to help you do it is is never a bad thing either. Yeah, it definitely, it makes it more fun. And, uh, and this is a really, I think this app stands along with uh, a lot of the other apps that get anointed on the show, you know, it, it works really well. It, it's not too much. Um, it's a great app. So yeah, well, please check it out. Darren, why don't you tell people where they can find out a little bit more? Cause I know you mentioned you had a, a special link for Mac power users, listeners, and then just in general, where they can find out more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So if folks go to my company is called boss organization, uh, boss is my last name, and so it's with one S, uh, the Dutch spelling, bosorganization.com slash MPU, and, uh, and they'll have a, there'll be a link uh, to the guest posts I wrote about meal planning, as well as a, a, a screencast that I recorded specifically showing you this whole process. So I'd love for folks to check that out and uh, give me a shout on out on Twitter at boss organization. I love to hear how it's going for you, how it works. Great. And we'll have links to all of that in the show notes, which you can find uh, on our website at relay.fm slash MPU slash 256 for this particular episode. Uh, So thanks again, Darren, for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Thank you guys. It was great to be on again. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. I really like that guy. Yeah. Um, we, uh, I think before we get into the, uh, the rest of the content for the show, let's just take a minute to, um, to do a few announcements and, um, and maybe do an ad spot real quick. What do you oh, think, Katie? Sounds like a plan. Okay. First of all is, uh, we're going to nag you about the feed, right? So we've moved over to relay. Uh, everything's working great. Everybody should be getting it, but, um, please, if you haven't go to relay.fm slash MPU and re-sign up for our show there. Um, you know, at some point the old feed will stop working and we don't want to lose you. So, uh, please take a moment. We'd really appreciate that. Um, I also want to just thank everybody for all the support on the photos video field guide just came out this week and it's doing great. And I've got so much great feedback from people that are really enjoying it and getting, getting used to photos with it. And then the last thing is we, we've been going through our audio comments for the show and we love getting them, but please keep them to two minutes or less because, uh, some of them just were so long that we can't really use them. I mean, the audience isn't going to want to listen to to someone talk for five minutes. So, so try and keep them shorter. Um, and with that said, why don't we talk about the folks at Hover? Yeah, I do want to welcome back to Mac Power Users Hover. Um, in fact. I just used Hover recently to acquire a a domain that I've been wanting for years. So I am so thrilled with Hover right now. So when you have a great idea, if you want to secure a domain name for it, uh, if you want something catchy or memorable that you want to represent your online identity, Hover, without a doubt, is the best place to go to buy 
and or even transfer to all of your domain names. I like Hover because they are fast, they are easy, you search for the domain name you want, you enter just a few keywords, they'll show you what's available. Um, you can buy them. Uh, they've got all of the, the top level, what do they call the little, little TLDs? They've got .com, .net, .io, .fm, and all of the country cl- codes so that you can find the ones uh, that best suits your needs. Uh, they also offer partners like the one that I just used that, that helped me um, go out and find the domain name that I wanted. It wasn't available, so they helped me negotiate a deal uh, to buy the domain name that I wanted. Um, and they offer great support and transfer service. Uh, they also offer a valet transfer service so that if you're not quite comfortable doing it yourself, although Hover offers amazing tutorials, uh, that they will help you get all of your domain names transferred to Hover at no additional cost. Now, why would you want your domain names over at Hover? Um, Because they are no hassle. You buy your domain, they don't nickel and dime you, they include things like domain name privacy for free. You're not going to see a bunch of options when you buy a domain name from Hover that just keep adding to your bill. You know, when you go buy a domain name from other registrars, they're, how shall we say, a little shitty about it? No, Hover says, here's your domain. Here's what it's going to cost. You can add on additional services, like I have email with Hover for my domains. And that's fine, but there's no nag, no pressure. You buy what you want. They're not going to email you 20 times a year asking you to buy other things. All they're going to tell you is when your domain is up for renewal. If you've got it on auto renew, then they'll just send you an email and say, hey, it's been renewed. No no worries. Um, so if you want no less hassle with your domain names, uh, you should check Hover out too. And when you sign up, you can get 10% off your first purchase by using the coupon code ASKMPU. That's ASK. MPU. So uh, thanks to Hover for sponsoring our show. And you can find out more information by going to Hover, H-O-V-E-R dot com. All right, David. Well, we got a ton of feedback on the Devon Think Show. Um, so much so that I'm I'm not really sure if we're going to be able to get through it all. But I did want to get through at least some of it this episode. So maybe we should start off with I've got an audio comment from Bill here. Hey, David and Katie. This is Bill from Georgia back with a tip for using DevonThink with iOS. I do a lot of reading on my iPad, and I often come across an article on the web that I want to save into DevonThink. Unfortunately, DevonThink hasn't yet given us a robust iOS solution. But there's an easy workaround. It just takes a bit of setup. I'll include detailed instructions for the show notes. Start on your Mac by creating a folder called Import to DevonThink in Dropbox or your favorite cloud storage service. Then choose Services, Folder Action Setup in the contextual menu and attach the DevonThink import folder action. Alternately, you could use a Hazel rule. Now, anything you put into that folder will automatically transfer to the DevonThink inbox. Back in iOS, use the handy Open In extension to save your article into the Dropbox import to DevonThink folder and you're done. Here's a bonus tip. To save your article as full text, use an iOS app like Workflow, PDF Converter, or a web service like PrintFriendly to convert the web page into a PDF and save that PDF to Dropbox. On your local network, you can use a printing app like Printopia to put PDF straight into DevonThink. And a special bonus bonus tip, once you've hooked DevonThink into Dropbox, you've opened up all sorts of possibilities for if this, then that. Yeah, I thought that was a helpful tip and um, kind of self-explanatory, actually. Um, the uh, I do want to talk about how uh, I'm using Dev and Think following the show, um, but 
But before we do that, let's bring in a couple more of the comments we received. Uh, Paul wrote in about syncing with Evernote. Uh, uh, he said there's an option to sync on demand with Evernote. So uh, he uses Evernote to work when he's in a project or just gathering data and notes. And depending on the project, he can run it all in Evernote or get to a stage where he wants to work in the larger project in DevonThink. So then he syncs the Evernote folder to DevonThink, which will identify any notes he hasn't already synced. In any case, DevonThink is the final resting place at the end of the highway. And he's always ready to search, you know, dimly remembered morsel of information. So he's kind of using Evernote when the bullets are flying. And then when the project gets overwhelming or too big or completed, he moves everything into DevonThink and uses it kind of like cold storage. Um, that makes sense. And, and in that show, I kept contrasting Evernote with DevonThink. So I thought Bill's, uh, I'm sorry, Paul's comment was, well, hey, you can really use them both. Yeah, and we also heard from Rob to talk about how he uses DevonThink in conjunction with uh, apps like EnvyAlt and SimpleNote. And one of the things that I did not realize is that tags, as they're used in EnvyAlt and SimpleNote and DevonThink, are all the same. So that if you index your SimpleNote in your EnvyAlt folder in DevonThink, and that you have all these portable text files in iOS that are also synced with DevonThink, uh, and then the indexing is is crazy fast. And Paul, uh, excuse me, Rob sent along uh, a couple of links that I've put in the show notes where he showed examples of exactly how to do this. He's got a workflow that he made uh, to have Keyboard Maestro copy text from Safari and put it into EnvyAlt and tag it as read it later. And he says, the beauty of this is that your read it later list then shows up in simple note and Vialt and DevonThink. And then when you're done reading, you remove the tag, you archive it, delete it, whatever you want. Um, he also attached, uh, which I've got in the show notes, a link to another example made by somebody else that syncs simple note with DevonThink. So check out the show notes for those links as well. Yeah, I think if DevonThink is pushing your buttons, you probably should explore these tagging solutions because tags are probably right up your alley. And then Jonathan wrote in with a, a, a script to sync DevonThink with the cloud. He says during the podcast that David mentioned that not having access to or sync the iCloud is a disadvantage. There's a script that takes care of that. And uh, Devon Technologies has written the script. I have not run it on my personal library yet, but we'll put it in the show notes and you can check that out. Uh, we also heard from Kyle, who's got an interesting workflow with RSS into DevonThink. Hi, Katie and David. It's Kyle here from New Zealand. I just wanted to follow up on your show on RSS feeds and tell you about a workflow that I have created that takes the RSS feed full circle. I'm an academic general practitioner and use uh, RSS feeds from various medical journals to keep me up to date with the literature. One of the problems that I have is keeping an archival record of papers or websites that I may wish to search for again. Although both Pocket and Instapaper enable you to create an archive, this can be problematic as it becomes just another bucket of information to search through. Ideally, I like to keep all the research that I come across in one bucket. And in my case, this is DevonThink because of its great artificial intelligence. My workflow is that after triaging my RSS feeds in Mr. Reader via Feed Wrangler and sending them to Pocket, I archive them. However, the trick to getting them into DevonThink is to create an RSS feed within DevonThink pointing at my Pocket archive. Pocket has the ability to generate an RSS feed linking to either your archive or unread articles. And Instapaper also has an RSS feed for a specific folder. So there you have it, how to go full circle with RSS. Thanks a lot. 
you know, uh, so we've got a lot of listeners using Dev and Think and, and a lot of people using it for good solutions. It seemed like the universal theme of the feedback we received is that everybody loves it for searching data. Like if you need to collect a lot of information and have quick access to it and the uh, the artificial intelligence of Dev and Think really does a good job of, you know, almost uncanny of finding what you're looking for with a search. Um, so after the show, I was very motivated. I, I downloaded the demo of the pro office version and I've been using it. One of the things I like is they give you a 150 hour demo. So it gives you enough time to really kind of wrap your arms around it. So if you're thinking about Devon, think at all, I recommend just downloading it and trying it. Um, but, uh, I, I can tell you a little bit about the problem I've been trying to solve with it is, you know, my, I've, I've started my own law practice and I have, you know, a nice set of clients and I've got emails coming in all the time and, and files. And I want to kind of create just a, a database for the law practice. Um, but one issue I see all the time is email. You know, I, I don't think just um, saving the email to the email application is really sufficient because I'm kind of creating a record of this stuff. And I, I'm not a fan of all the email folders. Instead, what I do is I print to PDF any important emails. I mean, if someone's sending me an email about a meeting or scheduling a call, I don't, but like if, if there's anything material in it, I just print it off to PDF and I use that keyboard shortcut I wrote about so long ago, you know, I just press command P in it. I've, I've got a save dialog box. So it's not hard, but I do find the process of drilling to the appropriate folder to save it is tedious, you know, and it takes a little extra time and it, you know, I'm a nerd. So every time I take a little extra time, I think about it. So I got thinking Devin think would be good if it could auto sort my email. Cause it can yank your email out of your email application and auto sort it for you. And I've been doing a lot of experiments with Devin think to try and get it to do that reliably. And I have not really been that satisfied with the results yet. Um, you know, all it takes is putting an email in the wrong place once to make it, you know, a problem for me and it's doing it pretty regularly. And I'm told that, you know, as I use it more, it'll get better at this. So I'm hoping that'll be the case, but I'm still not entirely sold. But if it could auto sort my email and save me that trouble, um, it would definitely be a winner for me. And just as an aside, the way I'm kind of dealing with that problem on the back end of, you know, finding the right folders, I've just created some smart folders like recently opened and um, and it's allowing me to drill there much faster. Um, but now, Katie, have you spent much time with Devin? Like you, you were doing exams and stuff. I think you probably haven't had time. Have you? Yeah, no, I've been the last couple of weeks have been just absolutely crazy for me. So I, it is something that is on my OmniFocus task list that I do plan to get into. But um, unfortunately, I'd, I have not had an opportunity to get into it as much. Yeah, but it, this is an ongoing discussion. Now that Devin Think is in the um, it's in the rotation here, I suspect we'll be talking about it in future shows as well. But I tell you, so many Mac Power users listeners are really into Devon Think. So if it's if it's if it's something you're interested in, there there are a lot of people out there using it and who, who are using it with really interesting workflows. I suspect this is not the last we've heard of it. And I guess a related topic to this for feedback is we I spent a lot of time that show comparing Devon Think to Evernote. And I got several emails from people scolding me saying, David, you're too mean to Microsoft. OneNote is really great. And you should be every time you say the word Evernote, you should also be thinking about OneNote. And uh, we're going to give OneNote more attention in the show in the future. But um, I, I message received everybody. And I understand that a lot of people like OneNote and uh, I need to take another hard look at it. Actually, I used to really like it when I used a Windows tablet computer like 12 years ago. But um, anyway, uh, so that point is on the table as well. Uh, well, we also got quite a bit of feedback about our RSS and Read It Later show. And uh, assuming that everything uh, works with me, I want to 
Take a listen to an audio comment from Brandon here. Hi, Dave and Katie. This is Brandon here in Portland, Oregon. I was talking about your recent show on RSS readers. I work in an office where I have, do a lot of news collection to write a weekly newsletter. And I have interns who come in and then come out. And they I put off some of my job on them to do a lot of the collection. The way I use get that done with the uh, RSS readers is I use Feedly and they have an export to OPML feature, which allows me to set up a collection in Feedly called interns. And then I can export that as OPML and it highlights for me, it labels in that OPML file, which ones are interns. And if you know how to read the OPML file, that is uh, in a text editor. And then I can just copy and paste that part into its own and then have the interns import that OPML file with just the intern stuff into their newsreader. And now they are set up knowing what feeds they should read. I have a collection that I know that I don't have to read very closely. I can just skim everything in that collection. And I am able to uh, lessen my workload by putting that off on the interns. I love the show. Thank you very much. It's amazing the things that you can do with RSS and OPML. Yeah, and this is a testament to the fact that RSS is an open technology. So it just makes it so easy for everybody to get in there and start making things happen. And frankly, it it it's really um that's encouraging. Uh B- Bill wrote in about um uh, Baz I don't even know how to pronounce it. I, I think it's Bazquix. Bazquix is B A Z Q U X, which I had never heard of it. Did you hear of this service before? I think I've read about it, but I I not much. Well, it's a Feedly product. So he says, he said, look, uh, I switched my RSS sync service to Baz Quiz Quicks from Feedly. Because so it no, it's, it's not a Feedly product. Oh, from Feedly. Gotcha. Yeah. I misread. Okay. Because it allows uh, custom sorting of folders. Feedly does, does only alphabetically. And he says, yes, Katie, you can create a folder in an app and it will sync everywhere. So it clones the old Google Reader API and works with the major mobile and desktop apps. And he uses Reader, Mr. Reader, and ReadKit. Syncing is fast. The web version, which looks a lot like the old Google Reader, has extra features including filters, smart searches, one-click sharing, readability views, and comment tracking, which is basically all the major features we discussed in that episode. Uh, He also says it's a one-person shop, and it's very responsive to feedback, and the price is competitive with Feed Wrangler. He pays $9 a year, but it looks like he's going up to $19, and there's a $99 lifetime option. So there's another option for you, gang. Baz Quicks. B-A-Z-Q-U-X. Bonnie's saying maybe it's Baz Quiz. We'll see. Baz Quiz. I don't know. Hmm. I, I think if you're going to make a web service, you should make a name that people don't have to wonder how it's pronounced. <laughs> that's, that's one bit of advice. Yeah. For Gary, free. There you go. Gary wrote in and said, I just listened to your Onslaught podcast, and it's funny since Google Reader abandoned us, my flow was disrupted. I haven't looked into alternative solutions, but you've inspired me to tackle it again with one of the RSS services. I just signed up for Feedly and put some content in there, but one thing I'd love to see is a list of recommended feeds that you both subscribe to. I used to think the mainstream sites gave me the most content, but now, of course, I find that those sites just throw out clickbait and repetitive, meaningless articles now to feed their sponsorship. So I'm most interested in your not-so-mainstream RSS feeds. I know this may seem obvious to you both, but I don't know a lot of the guys and gals with the great blogs out there until they come on to MPU. We, we've had this in our outline for a long time. 
you know, every live show we say, okay, well, everybody keeps asking what we're subscribed to and then we never get to it. Um, uh, I, I've got, you know, variety of feeds I subscribe to, as I said in the show, try and, and cut down your list. Don't subscribe to a bunch of fire hoses because then you won't read them. There's just too much information coming in. But I can tell you the ones that I, I kind of consider essential are a uh, daring fireball from John Gruber. I think he has really good commentary. Six colors from Jason Snell, Mac stories, uh, Mac drifter from Gabe Weatherhead and Katie Floyd me, which is, uh, Aww, thank you. I, I like that. Um, I like to keep it to people like Mac, Mac drifter is a great example. It's a one person blog, but it's good quality, high signal to low noise. It's just a good blog. Uh, another one I would recommend can possibly, and this is a sponsor of ours, but the one password blog is, I think very high quality. They do good stuff in there. And I'm always interested in security related things. And because it's kind of um, slanted towards one password, which is the app I use, I find that uh, useful to blog, uh, to read. Um, occasionally I subscribe to Mac rumors and it's when things are getting hot, you know, um, Arnold Kim, I think is, is a good guy and they're really, um, they kind of accumulate all the, the rumors and information coming out around Apple. And sometimes I want to know that stuff when we're getting close to a new phone or a new watch or something. And then when we're out of that zone of something interesting going on, I'll just unsubscribe until I, I need it again. Well, I subscribe to many of the same ones that you do. Obviously, I subscribe to MacSparky.com, as I think everyone should. Um, I also really like the folks over at the Mac Observer. I like the writers over there, so I do subscribe to the Mac Observer. Um, I think Marco has some interesting opinions, so I subscribe to Marco.org. I like the sweet setup. I find a lot of interesting setups and, and new apps there that I haven't used before. Uh, and 512Pixels, Stephen Hackett's blog. I watch that on and find some interesting stuff there. So. Um, and then we both have a bunch of non-tech legal, whatever stuff that we subscribe to. And for that, you're on your own. You have to go find stuff. But I, I do think a, a good rule of thumb is try to find someone that doesn't post 30 articles a day, but instead posts a few about things that you're interested in. Um, hey, let's take a break and talk about our second sponsor today. And that is the nice folks over at Drobo. I love my Drobo, Katie Floyd. It's uh, If you don't know what a Drobo is, it's a, it's a little box that sits on your desk and it's got a bunch of drive bays in it. Mine has four, but you can get them with five bays or eight bays. And Drobo allows you to create a safe, expandable storage array. And this is a big deal because we all have these SSDs or even iMacs these days that, that don't have as much storage on them as we'd like. And we want a good way to have a big bucket of storage attached, attached to our computers and have it there safely. We also want it without a bunch of hassle. You know, and some of these um, external drive arrays require you to have the exactly the same hard drive from the same manufacturer and the same size and a lot of nonsense that is that frankly kind of frustrating. Uh, Drovo solves that for you. It's just you can throw any old drive you want in there. I've got some older ones that are kind of smaller and some bigger ones that are uh, that are newer. And as I start running out of space, I put a new one in there. And not only does Drobo accept whatever drive you put in there. It also uh, backs everything up. I mean, it, it makes two copies essentially of everything. And it's very simple to use. They've got like, if you can obey a traffic light, you can understand the Drobo. There's a light next to each drive. There's a green, yellow, and red. And obviously if a light turns red, that means you got a problem with that drive. I had a drive fail recently and I just popped it out, ordered a new one on Amazon, had it here in a day or two, stuck it back in. 
And the Drobo spent a day or so kind of grinding through, figuring it out. And then it had everything backed up for me again in two places. If you've got a larger drive, you can have it. So you can even have two drives fail and still retain all your data. It's just a great um, idea. And what I like about it is you just don't have to think about it. You connect it and you're all good. They've got those good connection speeds, USB 3. They've got some with Thunderbolt, you know, so it's they're just super fast. You can connect it to your drive. As an example, I've got all these movies. Well, I've got them all on my Drobo, and then I attach it to my iMac, and I've got access to them on my iMac at all times without filling up my iMac's precious SSD with all those movies. All this stuff is great. Um, the, the newest version, Drobo Generation 3, is the one I have. It's uh, three to five times faster than the predecessors, but it can still use the same drives as the predecessors. So if you've got an older one you upgrade, you just put the drives out of the old one, put it in the new one, and you're off to the races. Uh, the U.S. list price is three forty nine. That's cheaper than ever. It's one third less than its predecessor. So you should check it out. Now that's not good enough for us. That we wanted something better for our listeners, and we asked the guys at Drobo, "Hey, give us a deal for our listeners." And they said, "Okay, if they put the code in MPU fifty, that's MPU five zero, you get fifty dollars off that." So that three forty nine Drobo just got down to three hundred dollars. Think about that for three hundred bucks. You've got a drive on your computer, you know, connected to your computer can have up to four you know large hard drives in it backing up all your data giving you the ability to manage like all that video you're taking of your kids or whatever and you know it's backed up so it's just a great deal from great people thanks for all your support drobo and go check it out all right and we're still getting some feedback about the latex show that we did and we heard from ken who is a professor of physics and often has to write grants for work uh, and likes to co uh, collaborate with students and colleagues and finds that LaTeX well, works a lot better for this um, than text files. And he says LaTeX files just never seem to get corrupted. Uh, and he suggested a website called Shared LaTeX, S-H-A-R-E-L-A-T-E-C.com. He says it's essentially Google Docs, but for LaTeX, which allows multiple users to collaborate on a single document. And so that's great. I, I did not know that something like that existed. Yeah, what a great idea. Me too. So uh, maybe this is common knowledge out in the LaTeX community, but if not, we're spreading the word. Uh, Peter wrote in about Marked 2 and Multi-Markdown Composer, and he said that he enjoyed listening to us talk about LaTeX and remind us that Fletcher Penny, who's a former guest of the show, Multi-Markdown Composer, and uh, Brett Terpstra, who's a frequent guest of our show, and his app Marked 2 both render LaTeX properly if you throw the right switch in settings. So that's another great editor to use. Mark 2 just continues to be awesome. I, I use that app all the time. And if you haven't checked that out, go go check that out. So so Brett Terpster makes this Mark 2 app and allows you to write in Markdown or LaTeX or Multi-Markdown and automatically render the text right away. And the thing I like is that Brett just keeps updating and updating this application. It does like Scrivener files, whatever. You just throw it at it and you're good. We also heard from Stan, who had an audio comment about LaTeX. Hi, Katie and David. Stan Clark here from Southern California. I really appreciate your show. I'm a faculty member in the math department of a Southern California University, and I want to mention that I have never heard any of my colleagues and associates say anything other than LaTeX when speaking of the document preparation tool. I have asked around, and no one here seems to have heard it pronounced any other way either. Maybe it's a regional thing. More to the point, a LaTeX document is in plain text just as HTML documents are. 
An HTML document may be in plain text, but it has many codes that need to be embedded as plain text in the document. Those codes then tell our web browsers what to do with the other contents of the text file, giving directions on how to display it on the screen. In a similar way, LaTeX has codes, many, many more codes than HTML, that tell a LaTeX compiler how to reformat that plain text into a PDF document. I know LaTeX only in the context of very technical mathematical and scientific writing, although it clearly has wider use. It is not easy to learn, at least not if you're going to do actual equations. I would suggest that unless your listeners have serious scientific needs, that they may want to consider other alternatives. I lecture in mathematics and have equations on almost every slide, handout, and exam. I find that MathType works extremely well for all the equations I write, and it works well in both Office, Microsoft Office products as well as Keynote and Pages. In any case, LaTeX is a great tool, but it is not for the faint-hearted and probably not for people that don't have a very serious reason to use it. On the other hand, it is open source and free, so you might enjoy playing with it a bit. And There is a kind of interactive uh, version at overleaf.com that allows you to type a few lines and then see how it would look. It is web-based and free for the low-volume casual user. It may be a great way to try it out and see what you think. I will, by the way, sport an Apple Watch sports version as soon as available. Old guys of math faculty are not expected to be stylish. <laughs> okay, okay, Professor Stan, we got that. Uh, we do have an Apple Watch show on the on the books here, so we're going to have that coming out pretty soon. I've been using mine a lot, and no, Katie has. We're going to have some good ideas. We wanted to do it a little bit after it came out so we could talk about actual usage and not, you know, how fun it was taking it out of the box. Um, uh, you know, to Stan's other point, I, I have not actually played with LaTeX at all. Um, we've talked about it on the show, but it's just not been something that I've really felt the need to dive into, which is kind of interesting because when I heard, first heard about Markdown, I was immediately in it and I, I write in that now every day. Um, Chelsea wrote in um, about accessibility and the Apple TV. And uh, I thought this was a very a fascinating email because it was something I had never thought about. So Chelsea writes in to say, as with many things in Apple land, I have a strong opinion about the state and track of the television market. I think I'm in a niche market because for sure I'm blind and use voiceover. And yes, blind people do watch TV. And you know what? It's like it's a forehead smacking moment. Of course they do. Right. But you didn't you don't think about it. And uh and uh, so she, she gave a recommendation to the Big Bang Theory and Scorpion. Uh, she says, the reason this became important is when dealing with the user interface. At the current state in 2015, Comcast is the in the prototyping stages of an accessible set-top box. With most other cable providers, all one can access is the cable channels, no guide, no DVR, no video on demand. Can you imagine trying to watch TV or listen to TV with, without any accessibility features when you're blind? Yeah, crazy. It, it would be like watching TV, you know, 20 years ago without any of those other features. You're just changing well, I mean, channels. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and she said, for these reasons alone and the slow impl implementation of accessibility features by mainstream cable, she won't be getting it uh, better to consume everything online. And even some of the online players have issues. CBS still uses Flash to say nothing of the availability of audio description tracks. There isn't much content and what there is is difficult to get legally. 
So with what Apple knows about accessibility information uh, interfaces, I really want them to disrupt this market. I would pay money for a streaming service. The puzzle is huge and there are many factors to consider, but the current state of deplorable accessibility, I hope Apple is someone that can change this. And you know what Apple may be? I hope Chelsea is sending this to, to Tim Cook because I know that um, Apple is not just puffing smoke. I've talked to the people at Apple that deal with accessibility and they they consider it almost like a religious mandate to make the Apple stuff work for everybody. And that's why the phone and the iPad have had such good success with um with the uh, you know um people that have challenges with you know things like their vision because Apple really is working hard. I bet that this would be something that they would really grab onto. So I sure hope they do deliver that. And I never realized um how difficult it is for someone to to navigate, but it makes obvious sense when you step back and look at it. Anyway, thanks Chelsea for sharing that. Hopefully they'll they'll help you out. It's probably time to move on now away from show feedback and get into just some general questions that that our listeners sent us that, you know, aren't necessarily related to a a particular show, but, you know, just some stuff that have been on their mind. And probably a good place to start is uh, let's, you know, we've been talking a lot about book scanning and and digitizing uh, your books. And Matt had a related question. So let's go from there. Hey, Katie and David, this is Matt Spinnenberg here. I just have a quick question about the Fujitsu ScanSnap the the most the model you guys both are using um my question is do you guys scan books as in do you go get them chopped and then do you scan them second question is does is there an easy uh, cleaning process for the scan snap and i ask because i work at a college and i scan several books for students who have print uh, disabilities and I come across an issue where I am cleaning the inside of the scanner uh, several times a month or whenever I do a new scan because uh, the glue is built up on normally the left-hand side because the the leftover from the cut binding. So do you guys have the same issue? And if you do, what do you do about it? And is the Fujitsu ScanSnap easy to clean? because I'm looking into having my office purchase two of them. And you guys have been such a great help on basically reporting all your cases of use in everything you do. And uh, love the show. Peace. Okay, Matt. (laughs) Matt, First um, of all, we're going to say... I think your bus might have left you. You (laughs) should probably go, go see about if you could grab them still. Yeah, the uh, I think what he needs to do is first he needs to scan the manual for his jackhammer and get that scanned in because sounds like he's using it a lot. But the uh, um, okay, so there's a couple pieces there. Uh, uh, Fujitsu is a sponsor of the show, so I guess take it with a grain of salt. But um, um, we're both big fans of their scanners. That's the ones I've been using for years uh, to clean a Fujitsu scan snap. You open it up. I noticed the other day I had a a black line on some scans I was doing, and I knew exactly what it was. I just you know, you open up the lid just like if you're cleaning up a piece of paper and the li- the uh, glass is right there where the scanning happens. And I just took a little um, tissue and a little uh, a cleaning solution and I cleaned it off and then that was fine. So they're not hard to clean at all. But the problem you're getting with these uh, cut bindings and and uh, we've talked about this on the show a couple times. I threatened to do it with my bandsaw once and we got a ton of email about people worried about my fingers. Uh, but ultimately, I've been going down to the local staples and they do it pretty cheaply there. 
Uh, we've had other uh, listeners write in that go to even smaller print shops that say they can even do better. We had one listener write in, I think she, it was cookbooks she was talking about, um, or uh, no, she's a, a dog show. She shows dogs and she was getting a bunch of magazines. She said she had nine feet of magazines and she took it in and they did it for, she said she got all of them cut for something like about, you know, 15 bucks. And she, she, um, then she would just scan them in the trick though, is you have them cut it, um, like an eighth of an inch in from the glue, you know, you cut them in a little bit from the glue. If you, if you tear the pages out, the glue is going to still be on and you are going to get the glue on your scanner. So you just want to cut it, you know, a little bit in from the glue and then you scan them. And when you do that with a, with a scanner, like the scan snap, it just rocks through those things. I mean, I do it all the time. And then even earlier today, um, when we were talking to Darren, the light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, Oh, that's the next books I get to cut is all our cookbooks. I'm going to scan and OCR all of our cookbooks. I'm not going to have to pay these guys to have a website. I can just search all my cookbooks. Um, anyway, so, uh, I think that answered all those questions Did I miss any. No, you didn't. I, I have heard some people say, though, depending on the type of book that you have and depending on I agree that if you can cut it in a little bit closer to the margin, um, that, that that's going to help because you're going to avoid the glue. I also had we had a listener write in and suggest maybe a hairdryer or some kind of something that would heat up that glue a little bit uh, would would help you make a cleaner separation if you were just trying to straight separate it. So that's a that's an idea, too. Um, also, Matt, all kidding aside, we do. We appreciate the audio comment. I'm sorry that we made fun of you a little bit there, but it just is also give me a, an opportunity to say to people, we really appreciate you submitting the audio comments, but maybe if you could be a little bit aware of your surroundings, it would be helpful. I actually think all of our listeners should submit comments with a jackhammer in the background. From I, now on. <laughs> I think, I think it was a bus. I think it sounded cause you know, it like drove away. It was something it's, it was something that drove away. All right. Uh, so Gary wrote in with the ask MPU Twitter uh, hashtag. So if you send out uh, a Twitter, a tweet that says ask MPU and Twitter hashtag, uh, we, uh, we get it. So uh, Gary wrote in, he says for essential paper documents, how do you store them securely? What do you do with them? What do you do, Katie? You know, I keep, and certainly we do not want to give out legal advice because the, the rules change depending on where you are and what you have. But, you know, Gary's right. There are certain documents that you really do need to have originals or you do need to have paper copies of. Uh, and in fact, recently I just refinanced my mortgage. So the um, the old mortgage company sent me a, my original note back paid. And that's definitely something that I'm going to want to keep for a while. Just if anything ever comes up, I want it to be proof that that first, that first note was paid off. So the first thing that I did is I, of course, I scanned it into my paperless system because if anything ever happened, I wanted to make sure that I had a good, clean digital scan of it. Uh, I have a small fireproof safe that I keep in the house. I don't have enough of this type of stuff yet at this point in my life to justify having a um, a, a safe at a at a bank, a, you know, or something like that. So I just have a a fireproof safe. It's you know rated for so many hours, and I keep those type of documents in there. And thankfully, I don't have enough of this paper yet that it's not overwhelming. And so that's that's where I keep that kind of stuff. What about you? Yeah, we did the same thing. We got a a box at Target. It's just it's fireproof. It's a it's got a key. You can lock it, and you know, like the when you pay off your car and you get the pink slip, you just toss it in there with whatever else you've got. And, and that's fine. I mean, if uh, where we live, there's occasionally a fire scare. I live kind of up in the foothills. So, um, so that's on the list of things. If, if we had to evacuate, we'd take it, but I don't think you need to go crazy. Yeah. 
Um, Ronnie wrote in about saving MPU show notes. I, I really like this whole thread. And Katie, um, I'm going to let you weigh on this because you were the one talking to Ronnie the most. But uh, he says, I'm keeping all your episodes in my podcatcher due to your guest show notes, which I periodically recheck. And uh, so I'm sorry. Great, great show, notes. show notes. And yeah. and we have JT to thank for those amazing show notes. I, I yeah, I have heard so often from listeners say that your show has the best show notes. And, and I, I, you know, it's all because of JT and, you know, Hey, as well. Hey, helps as well. Uh, but is there a way to automate it so that whenever a new episode is out, if this, then that, or a workflow grabs the notes automatically and saves them in a draft or iOS notes or even Evernote? Why? Yes. Why? Yes, there is. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump in there. I want you to, because okay. I know you're very excited. See, can, I can hear the excitement in your voice, Katie. Yes. Whenever, whenever Katie Floyd has joy, I want her to talk. Okay. Well, uh, yes, our, our Mac Power users listeners, of course, our Mac Power users listeners have created all kinds of unique ways to save our show notes to all kinds of unique places. Uh, so listener Brian sent us a link to a workflow, and I put that link in the show notes that will send uh, MPU show notes from Overcast into Evernote. And so there's a link there. Uh, and then listener Chris also created an if this then that recipe uh, that will send um, information from our RSS feed directly to Evernote. Now I actually emailed Chris this morning because um, his, his, if this, then that recipe that he shared was very popular, you know, something like several hundred people had already downloaded it, but he created it a while ago. So it uses our old RSS feed. So make sure if, if you use that and it stopped working or if you are going to add it, I asked Chris if he could update it, but I don't know if he's gotten around to doing that yet. Um, make sure that you go in after you add that and just edit the RSS feed to reflect our current RSS feed, uh, which is uh, HTTP uh, relay.fm slash MPU slash feed. You can find that on our, uh, on our website as well. It made me feel so good when I when someone sent me the link to show me that the download Mac Power User show notes was one of the top downloaded if this then that recipes. Of I don't course know, it is. Just, yeah. They pushed all my nerd buttons. Um, we also heard from Christy who had a question and she, she's got kind of a tall order here, David. Uh, I, I don't know that we're going to be able to please her, but it's something to think about. And maybe the discussion can continue a little bit on the, the Google Plus community if people have better ideas. Uh, but Christy basically says, um, she asks, can you please do a show that uh, gives a good solution for MacBook users who have very limited space on their SSD and therefore cannot have their iTunes and photo content? We need a solution that works flawlessly, even away from the home network, doesn't cost an arm and a leg or a monthly fee. Yeah, that, that last or is where she killed me. <laughs> you know, you, you, uh, you can't have it all. Christy, the, uh, no, I get what she's saying though. We've got these small drives and we've got, um, intensive data. We just did a whole show on photos. And, and one of the big points of the new photos application is that Apple will host your photos for you. I mean, you can stick all your photos up in the cloud and use very little bit, uh, room on your, your computer, but they are going to charge you for it. In my case, it's $4 a month. So, so, um, if you want to get it off your drive and the same thing with your music, you can use iTunes in the cloud, which is, I think iTunes quite, match. iTunes match. I'm sorry. iTunes match, which I think I pay 25 bucks a year for, but, um, and it allows you to selectively sync down just some of your music, keeping the rest of it up in the cloud. Uh, but you pay for it. So I, I don't know that there is a solution to manage that SSD stuff without, um, either, a buying an external hard drive and keeping that stuff on the external hard drive and just keeping it in your bag so you can plug it into your computer when you need it or 
be paying somebody, Apple or somebody else, to store that stuff for you so you can access it off the cloud. So I, I just don't know that, that you can solve that problem. I, I think my, I had a couple other thoughts on this. I think the best solution is probably going to be to use photos and to use iTunes Match uh, for the obvious reasons that you just outlined. Um, I did have some correspondence with Christy, and I think she mentioned that she had a Drobo. Um, so perhaps uh, Plex might be a solution here. If she could keep the stuff streaming on Plex and then use Plex on her device or on her iOS devices, that might be another option to look at. So I throw that out there as well. Yeah. I mean, cloud stuff costs money. If you've got someone who's going to store it for free in the cloud, I don't know. I guess what is Google? What does it cost to get a Google Drive storage these days? Well, I mean, I that's know. the thing is, is if you're uploading your entire music catalog and your entire photo catalog, you're probably going to run into limits on all of these. I mean, we've talked about Amazon. We've talked about Dropbox. We've talked about, you know, a transporter. We've talked about all these solutions, but they all, I mean, you can't have something in a cloud that doesn't cost money. You can't, I mean, you can't have it all. You got to pick something. Well, I guess as I, as I think about it, one of them would be maybe the a cheaper solution would be the transporter because it's a one-time fee. You buy a transporter, you plug it in. There is no monthly fee. You're basically providing the cloud. It's just your internet connection. So there are other ways. Um, And I guess it just depends on what you're doing. I I find in my case, like with the photos and the music, at least I'm willing to pay Apple because it's just so convenient to have everything just work on all the devices. Um, Either way, we had Ron also send an audio comment about good resources uh, for a new iPhone user. Let's uh, hear from Ron. David and Katie, my name is Ron, and I have loved your show all the way from the beginning. I know I found it, I think, the same month that you launched it in 09. My challenge today is I'm going to be meeting with a buddy of mine who is about ready to... um, Surrender his flip phone, and uh, most likely he will agree to buy an iPhone based on my recommendation to him. And my challenge is this. I'd like to give this good friend of mine some guidance about using it. Um, He is nowhere near my level of expertise, and I don't want to overwhelm him with gobs of information, which (laughs) there really is. So my question is, do you, do either of you have a good idea of which one of your podcasts, uh, shows would be a good starting point for my friend, um, to get started with using, he may end up with a, a iPhone 4S, um, and I'm going to give him all kinds of information to help him decide if he wants to get a someone else's older phone or a new phone of his own. Thank you so much. And I uh, appreciate everything you do. True story. Cause it's another thing I'm excited about. I saw somebody this week with a Motorola StarTech using it in real life. Awesome. Do you, I mean, that was, that was my dream phone. That was my, because you know, it's the, it's the Star Trek phone. It's the communicator. It's the StarTech. And, yeah. and this lady had one and she was using it. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Hello. Did you get a selfie with her? I, I wanted to. She, she seemed kind of um, irritated. So I just decided to stay away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, anyway, I don't want to go down old cell phone stories, but the, um, I, whenever you get a friend to switch to a Mac or an iOS device or something for the first time, 
there there is a degree of ownership you're taking, right? And that's why I'm actually kind of careful about not pushing people into buying Apple stuff because it, it just comes with such a time commitment. But what I recommend uh, in Ron's case, it's his friend, he's talked him into this, is make sure he has a good first experience. You know, go with him to the store or whatever and sit down with him and get him running it. And the other thing you have to do as a geek is not load up their phone with apps. That's the biggest mistake you can make. Just pick one or two that you think that person in particular will like, you know, if they like a certain newspaper or something, you know, download the app for that newspaper or that network or whatever, make sure they understand how the Apple store works, but don't overload them with apps and just let them make calls, see their contacts. You know, there's a lot of stuff. The iPhone does really great. That doesn't involve apps and make sure they just get that part down first. It's just like we were talking about with Darren earlier, you know, don't overwhelm them. I mean, uh, think about you, it. Remember how we were introduced to the iPhone. If if you started with an iPhone from the very beginning, we were introduced in a very limited way. There were no apps on the iPhone initially. And then there were limited apps. And then there were a few more and then a few more. Yeah. And then, uh, it, you know, there are resources out there. Uh, Don McAllister screencast, I think, has some beginning iOS stuff. Um but in re- in all reality, you know, somebody who's not a geek, it's going to be hard to get them to sit down and watch that stuff. You're almost better just doing it with them. Make sure they understand. One of the points I always make with people that get new Apple hardware, except Katie Floyd, who has to, she actually has to get in a submarine to get to an Apple store. Just but about, every, yes. everybody else is fine. But I, I always tell you, look, one of the things you get with this Apple gear is you get that store and you get that genius bar. So, you know, make sure you understand if there's any problem you're not stuck. You just go in and let them figure it out for you. It's not your job to have to, you know, debug your, your phone and just, you know, kind of get them working with it and then follow up in a week or so and say, okay, you've been using a week. What are the problems you're having? So we can figure it out together. Um, also, uh, we have some good pick shows with the good iOS apps. If they do start, you know, getting nerdy about it, send them a couple links to some of our shows about, you know, best iOS apps or best iPhone apps. We've got several of those over the years. Yeah, the the comments that I would add uh, to what you said, David, is if you have an Apple store nearby, they have some getting started class. They have some Apple um, iPhone for beginners classes. Those are definitely worth checking out. Um, Maybe maybe even go with them to a a class or two and and just to help them get started and maybe to help them show show with them a few things as they're there. That's that's a great thing to do. You also mentioned maybe that they might be getting an iPhone 4S. I would really discourage that at this point. It doesn't look like the iPhone. I mean, we're coming up on WWDC. We're likely going to see a new operating system released. We're we're going to see new iPhones coming out again in September. And we're gonna when this happens, we tend to see one more iPhone generation kind of roll off the supported um, list for the latest operating system. And it looks like that the 4S is going to be the one that rolls off the list uh, next. Maybe not, but that's what history has shown us. So I would hate for you to give them to get them a phone and then that phone in just a couple of months not be able to run the latest version of the operating system. So if you can get them a 5 a 5C or even a 5S, I think you're going to find that, that that's probably going to be a little bit better investment for not a lot more money than a 4S. Uh, so I would probably try to look at something a, a little more recent than a 4S. Just my two cents. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you think about how much you're paying a month for your, if this is, assuming this is in America, if you think about how much you're paying every month for your cell coverage, the, you know, paying 200 bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever is, is actually pretty, 
it's not a big investment compared to what you're going to be paying over the course of the year anyway. And the experience is going to be so much better and the device is going to last so much longer. I, I don't understand people that, that buy really old phones for their first phone. And, and I think you're just kind of setting them up for being unhappy, but the, um, anyway, um, uh, let's, uh, let's do a sponsor, talk about a sponsor and get on with some more listener workflow tips. Yeah, our next sponsor for this episode is our good friends over at 1Password. Um, and again, we had a listener write in with a 1Password tip for us. I, I love it when our listeners write in with tips for our sponsors so uh, we can share their tips instead of ours. So listener Scott wrote in and said, I just wanted to share a use of 1Password that I haven't really heard discussed before uh, for which it is uniquely suited romantic or business partners starting up shared finances. He said, my fiance and I are getting married soon and we're looking to combine finances so that we can save, invest and make large shared purchases. We both bought one password and put that on our Macs and our iOS devices and spent one Saturday afternoon putting in all of our personal information and then created a family vault. With that, a new joint account, and then entering a few things in her mint account, we re- we quickly remade out our financial lives in an afternoon and now have backup information for each other in case of emergency. We also have safer passwords and less headaches related to forgetting things. That's a nice idea. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so what 1Password allows you to do, and and we've talked about this before, but it allows you to create and store strong and unique passwords across all of your devices. Of course, it's multi-platform. You can use it on your Mac. You can use it on your PC. You can use it on your iPhone. You can use it on your iPad. And all of this information syncs across all of your devices using the cloud. You can choose Dropbox. You can use iCloud. Uh, But with recent versions of 1Password, they've introduced this idea of a shared, uh, this idea of multiple vaults. So you can have your personal vault, which is all of Katie's 1Password information. Um, And then you could even have like um, what I have is I have a secondary vault for all of my work-related information. So if I don't want all of my work-related passwords cluttering up my 1Password vault, or if maybe one day I want to give that vault to somebody else, or to share it with colleagues, then I can share that information in one password with someone else or with another group of people, but yet it's segregated from my own personal one password information. So I don't have to worry about sharing all of it. So it's, it's a really great feature of one password that they've, they've added fairly recently. And I'll add a link into the show notes uh, with more information on shared vaults. And it's a great use of, of one password within a family setting. In fact, I've got all of my family now using one password and you can, you've been able to for a while share individual passwords out of one password too, with their new sharing features. And, and that's great as well. So if you want to learn more about one password and see how it can work in your particular use case, you can find more information over at onepassword.com. Uh, you can also find, um, some great resources, as David said earlier, on the One Password blog. If you're not reading that, that's something you may want to throw in your RSS feed uh, to check out. So, thanks, One Password, for your kind support of Mac Power users. I also like that uh, he's, you know, letting his fiance know right up front that he's a geek and geekiness is going to become part of this marriage. Yes, and and these are the expectations right up front. We, I, I expect you to have strong, unique passwords, and I expect you to use apps like this. It's funny when I um when I really got into first pass one password for the first time I uh, actually was worried I was like what if I get hit by a bus how is Daisy going to like be able to get at all of the family financial stuff that I do through one password so so I actually had like a friend I had written down somewhere hey you know call Victor Cahiel because he just lives lives close to me 
but now she's like such a one password nut. I, we got no problem. You know, she's, 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 she's all, all about it. Anyway, um, uh, listener workflow tips, Matt wrote in with an audio comment about Piesmo. Let's, let's hear about Matt. Hey, David Sparks and Katie Floyd. I just want to leave you this, uh, voice message to inform you about an app I use in my daily work called Prismo. Uh, I've heard uh, David say something about, uh, I can't remember the name of the app he was using, but it helped him scan a document when he was at the doctor's office, and it helped him, you know, take a steady shot with probably audio cues and everything. Well, um, I'm visually impaired, and I'm actually skateboarding too, so in case you're wondering, but I've been using Prismo, which does that feature from day one. They have been uh, using that audio uh, like synchronization. It puts like a frame around the document you're taking, whether it's a business card or an eight and a half by 11. And it's only going to take the shot when it gets those three steady, you know, it gives you those three steady feedback noises. And the app is called Prismo, P-R-I-Z-M-O. And it's really awesome. So it's got two main features I want to highlight right now is uh, the first one is quick capture. And you know what these button titles are if you activate voiceover in the accessibility settings. And so it's going to tell you one of the buttons is called quick capture. So it's basically it's going to take either a photo or it's going to translate the photo to text uh, depending upon how you set the quick capture button. So normally I, I always have it to uh, translate to text. So you take the picture and you get a steady shot and then it converts it right into text and it starts reading it and highlighting the words to you. And then the second feature is the basic, let's take multiple pictures of documents. And um, the main thing is that it does that steady stabilization feature of giving you that sound feedback. So it's worth looking up. It's a great productivity app. I use it every day in my workflow. I work at a college and I do alternative media. And it's just a great thing to read documents right quick for those who have difficulty reading. And it also exports into, you name it, all of the apps. P-R-I-Z-M-O. Give it a shout. It's awesome. And once again, my name is Matt Spinnenberg. And I love the show. The show is awesome. I learned about OmniFocus. I've used it at work, and it is amazing. And uh, look forward to listening to your guys' show. Peace. You know, oh, I, I'm, start, I'm starting to think <laughs> now that that might have been the same Matt who had the ScanSnap question. I, I think that for the next live show, I will be disappointed if we don't have at least one user send in a comment while jumping out of an airplane. Oh my goodness. Um, and so for those of you who might have missed that, Matt um, shared with us that so he, he's skateboarding while sending in a Mac power. You, uh, how, well, never mind. How could you have missed that? You, you all caught that, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, um, good. Thanks, Matt, for the. Uh, and we're, I, we're, I not, the we're not. We're not. We're not encouraging this behavior. I just want to be clear. Although I won't be disappointed if I get one from someone <laughs> sitting in a, a cool if this then that rule while jumping out of an airplane. No, it, it has to be from Matt. It can't be from anybody else. We okay. don't want to encourage Peace. this from anybody else. Okay. Sergey wrote in about uh, solving family sharing problems. He said, I wanted to write you about how I solve the issue of apps not updating uh, when switching family sharing. He says it's laborious, but it solves a problem. You need iTunes on the Mac, maybe Windows, but he hasn't tried. Logged into family member to the Apple ID that has been having the issue with the updates. 
And for each app that would not update on iOS, you need to find it on iTunes, get it there. And once iTunes authorizes the app for the family member account, it'll update in the App Store. Hopefully this brings you back to family sharing and you can enjoy all the other goodies in it. Um, I understand, I've heard from a, a couple listeners as well that this problem has actually got a lot better in some of their most recent updates. I'm sure they've been working on it. And hopefully this isn't plaguing people as much as it was. And just to go back when I, I did family sharing, my wife's apps would not update and it was causing much strife in the Sparks family household. I haven't gone back to family sharing yet though. Uh, I'm going to wait till iOS nine comes out. I'm assuming it'll get better then. And then um, I'm going to experiment with it before I bring the wife and kids into it, but hopefully we'll get on that soon. Uh, we heard from Fran who has an audio comment as well about uh, sending an audio to MPU. This is kind of meta, but I thought it was fun. Hi, David and Katie Floyd. This is Fran. Wanted to give you some belated feedback about your workflow show. It was really helpful, and I have just made my first workflow. When I tap the screen, it starts recording an audio note. When I tap the screen, it finishes recording and puts it into an email address to feedback at mcpowerusers.com. It was a good test case. Uh, one other thing. Katie Floyd, wouldn't it be, I was, you know, your super secret email address, Katie Floyd at starfleet.com. Wouldn't that be starfleet.gov? You have been called out, Katie oh, Floyd. See, now they know. I was trying to keep it a secret. Oh, boy. It, oh. That's great. Um, I love our listeners. Yes, me too. Me too. Jeff <laughs> I love in. these shows about uh, better security questions. He says, when picking security questions for added security, make up the answers every time or use one password to generate some random sequence, as I mentioned on the show. So maybe it's the name of a planet or something completely random, but has nothing to do with the question. You know, say, where did you go to school? And you could say, you know, puffy pink poodles or something like that. One Play password users can easily keep track of that challenge and response in a custom field on their site. <clears throat> he says for the five people that don't still don't use one password, creating a fresh keychain in the keychain access app to keep those answers safe is better than using the notes app. Agreed. What I do is I just take a screenshot of that, you know, and because, um, you know, you have that screen you fill in and I just take a screenshot and drop it into the one password entry for whatever that that um, website is. He says, having said that, he says he's not a fan of security questions because he's had much better luck with using uh, two-step verification, which also makes sense. Recently, I had to reset a password with um, with one of those security questions, and the person was mad at me. It was like, I forget, it was my cable company or something. They're like, well, you didn't answer the question properly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm like, what? And they said, you know, you know, what's your, you know, where did you go to school? And the answer you gave doesn't answer that question. I'm like, yeah, I did not answer it properly, but you still need to take my answer and give me my new password. Uh, so be willing to be a rebel and do that. So did you, uh, did you have to give this to somebody over the phone? Yeah. 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 That's uh, why I, I always try to make them somewhat pronounceable because yeah. I realized that I might have to, you know, do that over the phone. Well, I had just generated a password and one password. So it was, you know, XKGF or whatever, you know, and, and the guy accepted it, but you could tell he was really kind of annoyed that I hadn't really followed their instruction. And I'm pretty sure it was the cable company. Anyway, um, so uh, Jonathan wrote in an audio comment about uh, better fonts in iOS. I like this one. Hi, Katie Floyd and David. My name's Jonathan from Cardiff in the UK. And I wanted to give a shout to Matthew Broderick for his concourse and equity fonts, which I saw on Typography for Lawyers website. These are a huge improvement over standard fonts that come with any PC or Mac and have made a real difference to my documents. 
so much so that I wanted them on my iOS devices. And Matthew was very quick in response to my query about how to do this. He pointed me towards two iOS apps, Font Font and Any Font, and I've used both of these, and there's little to choose between them. Both cost a couple of dollars or so and take a few taps in the iOS, but they're well worth the investment. I confess I've also imported other fonts like Calibri into my iOS device, so when people have to send me PowerPoint presentations because the laptop doesn't work, I don't get the font not available warning. So a big thanks to Matthew Broderick. Check out his fonts. And thanks to David and Katie Floyd for the great help and advice every week. I look forward to the shows. Keep it up, guys. You're brilliant. Now, David, you were you were telling me before the show that it's actually not Matthew Broderick. It's Butterick. Is that correct? Yeah, Butterick. He's a really nice guy. He actually lives uh, around me. And uh, he's written this book called Typography for Lawyers. And if you're a lawyer, I think it's almost mandatory reading. You should go check it out. And if you're not a lawyer, it's still got some really good advice in there. And uh, Matthew Broderick was the guy who made that movie that Katie Floyd refuses to watch. So I'm not good. familiar with Matthew Broderick. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Although he did do Ferris Bueller, didn't he? Yes, yes he did. So, did you ever uh, watch that movie? I have watched Ferris Bueller. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did you like it? It was all right. <sighs> Disappoint me so much. sometimes. Okay. Uh, let's talk about our last sponsor, uh, Fujitsu. And we've talked about them a little bit in this show already in terms of scanning books and, and all the work I can do with my X500. But I want to talk today about the its little brother, the iX100. Uh, the iX100 is Fujitsu's ultimate portable scanner. It scans a page at 300 DPI in 5.2 seconds, and it'll fit in your glove box, your briefcase, or your backpack. It weighs just 14 ounces. Uh, it's all USB powered, but it also now supports wireless scanning. So you can have the device on the table, take a piece of paper, run it through it, and it'll wirelessly show up on your Mac or PC. It also scans to iOS, Android, or the Kindle Fire mobile devices. And its rechargeable battery will scan up to 260 pages on the go. And just to recharge it, you just plug it into USB and you're good to go. Um, it's got the same great software as the other Fujitsu scanners, like the dual scan. Uh, it supports that. It scans both uh, two small documents at the same time. Uh, the documents with larger legal size can be scanned and then automatically stitched together. It can scan using the ScanSnap software, including OCR to a PDF, scan to a folder, email, or third-party apps like Evernote and Dropbox. I mean, it's got that powerful Fujitsu software. It's got the Fujitsu hardware, and it is very portable. This is a great device if you're out on the road, like maybe you're in sales or you travel a lot, and you're getting a lot of documents thrown at you, you want to get those scanned, just bring an iX100 with you, and you're good to go. Fujitsu is a great uh, company for supporting the Mac. I love the way all through the years they've been right on board with making drivers and great software for the Mac. They're always there for us. And, um, and frankly, they just make outstanding scanners. You can learn a lot more at their website. It's www.ez.com slash SSMPU, ScanSnap Mac Power Users. Go to that website. It makes us look good. And, you know, if you get one somewhere else, if you go get it on Amazon or whatever, Put up a let them know on Twitter or whatever that you heard about them from us. Uh, I've just never heard from a listener that's been unhappy with a purchase of a Fujitsu scan snap. So, so go check it out. Thanks, Fujitsu, for all the support. All okay. right. We've got well, some more stuff. We have more. Wait, there's even more. Yes, there is. There's more. Um, I think we uh, we should talk about some of our new technology. 
Oh, might you have a new toy that you're playing with, David? Yes, I do. Yes, I do, Kitty Floyd. Okay. (laughs) You know, you know, we had the long discussion, and you went through why and why you you don't need a new MacBook, and you know, and we spent a lot of time, and then I just ordered one for myself. (laughs) That was predictable, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, my uh, my uh, my laptop is three years old, and my life has changed a lot, so I, I don't need. Before I had the MacBook Pro, which was great because I used it, you know, full time, five days a week at my office. And now I'm working from home a lot and I have this great iMac and I'm working at that. And when I'm I'm on the road, it doesn't make as much sense to have a big, heavy laptop. So I went into the Apple store and played with the new MacBook and I wasn't sure about that keyboard. But I decided what I would do is I just would order one and after a week decide if I was going to return it or um, or um, or keep it. And sell the and, MacBook and Pro. Seriously, did anybody believe that you were actually going to return it? Was there no, any I, chance whatsoever? I have done this before. I, I tried an 11 inch MacBook Air once, and I returned it because it just this I couldn't take the screen. You know, I've been kind of lusting after a smaller laptop for a long time, but the um, the Retina screen kind of ruins you. And so I, I I fully was willing to return this thing. And and for me, the big tipping point was the keyboard i mean i i I love the screen on it um the the thin design is fine the fact that it has one port doesn't bother me because this is essentially it's a second computer um but that keyboard i just was not sure at all about and after using it a week i realized I, i don't like it as much as the other keyboard but it wasn't bothering me as much either and i like the benefits of it so much that i went ahead and and it's interesting i'm selling the macbook pro right now and it looks like I'm going to recover a, a very substantial portion of the cost of buying the new computer. It, that's really nice about the Apple product is how they, they hold on to value. So anyway. Now, do you uh, have an original 15-inch MacBook Pro? Or yeah. did you get one out? Okay. I was, yeah, it was, the, the, the original Retina one. So it's it's just up on three years now. And um, it's a good computer still. I mean, I... But but uh, for what's happened in my life is I, I'm actually working out of the house and you know, it's just, it's just working really good for me. Uh, just to kind of give, I did a full review at maxbarky.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you want to go read it, it's like, it's, it's a lot of words. So you can go there and get the full detail, but you know, the key points are the battery life is fine. I'm getting around seven hours of battery life out of it. One of the things that I think was kind of shocking to me is that, you know, it, it plugs in the new USB three, I'm sorry, the new USB C uh, port, which is much smaller than the prior USBs. Um, and I thought just for giggles, what would happen if I took a phone charger and plugged it in to the new MacBook? I mean, will the specifically, will the computer charge the phone charger or will the phone charger charge the Mac? <laughs> so I ordered off Amazon a cable. It's, it's this, the old style USB plug on one side and USB C on the other side. And I plugged it into my phone charger and plugged in the Mac, and sure enough, it started charging up my MacBook. So the charger that I carry in my bag to charge my phone can also charge my computer now. Is that crazy? Now, how does that work? Does it recharge at any kind of level? I mean, could you pra- could you use this from a practical standpoint? Or? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it it treads water. When I'm using it, it's a, like if I'm at 10% and I plug it in, it stays at 10%. It, okay, so you it, could at not, least use it in a pinch to not lose any. It's like yeah, being but, plugged in. But then I decided for giggles is I would, um, I, I got it down to 10% and 
And then I went to bed and I plugged it into the external charger. And, you know, it depends on your, your mileage is going to vary. I've got the, um, the charger I have is, is a fairly large one, but it's not super large. And, um, I, I put all this, the specifics in the review so you can go read it. But basically I added, I think I got like a 70% charge to the computer draining it dry. So if you shut the lid and just plug it in, you can get a significant amount of power back into that machine with this little phone charger I'm carrying in my bag. So it's, um, I think that's kind of nice. And uh, anyway, the screen is gorgeous. The keyboard is not as good. I mean, they, Apple, you know, talks on their uh, website and everything about how they have these new switches and the keys are, are larger. Some people have written in and complaining to me that the, because of the larger keys are getting more typos. I have not found that. But what I have found is that the, the travel of the keys is so little that you get in this weird spot where you press too hard. And then I think you're putting more strain on your fingers because you're pressing harder than you need to, or you don't, you start getting, trying to get such a light touch that you actually miss keys and you have to find kind of that sweet spot. And I think I found it because I don't think about the keyboard anymore, but when I do think about it, I don't like it as much. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And so I kept it and, uh, I've got, you know, I'm in the midst of selling my old one right now. And, um, uh, I'm very excited, you know, uh, with this new, uh, because I, my practice now, I work at home as much as I go into the office. Um, it's just really working out nicely for me. And when I go to a meeting or whatever, um, I can take it with me. I, in the review, I did a thing, a Daisy, my wife does blogging about Disneyland. So she goes to events there and stuff. And she wanted me to drive her up a few weeks ago. So I drove her and I went into Disneyland. I went over to the, um, to a little restaurant right off the rivers of America where there's nobody there. And I sat there for four hours and, and wrote a brief while the steamship was, was going by. And I was thinking, you know, this is pretty nice. <laughs> I have to admit. Anyway, so I, I got a new uh, MacBook. Now, in the comments, I'm hearing lots of people um, talking about it. Uh, some people like the keyboard. Some people don't. And um, I, my only advice is go try it. Yeah. So I had an opportunity to play with one. Um, I went to the Apple store for my trial appointment and they had one there and I had, I had two opportunities to play with one. So the first time was at the Apple store and it was a unique experience because I, I made a point to go over to the new MacBooks and, and made a point to, to play with them. And I was focused on the keyboard because Jason Snell's review had come out about the keyboard and I did not care for the keyboard, but I will also say that I didn't think that it was a deal breaker. Um, I was, I like big poundy keyboards. I like big clacky keyboards if I had my way, but I've also had some issues with RSI and I have learned over the years that although I may personally like those, that those are not the best keyboards for me. Um, so right now, in addition to the, the keyboard that's on the MacBook, uh, the standard Apple keyboard that I'm using, um, I'm also using a, a Logitech, uh, K750. And I really like the feel of that keyboard so much so that I've got one, uh, both for my office as well as um, for my home. And that to me is is become a great keyboard because it's very similar to the Apple keyboard so that when I go back and forth from my home, my work and my laptop keyboard, that there's not that shifting between different style keyboards. Um, and I'm a little nervous about just it being just the nature of it being a different keyboard and just being something else to get used to. I'm also go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I'm, no, it's fine. I think keep yeah. keep going. I've got a few comments, but finish. Yeah, um, and and so I didn't care for it as much, but I also don't think that it was a deal breaker. I, I think if the other features are of a benefit to you, you'll get used to the keyboard. Now, my mom tried it, 
because she's she currently has a 17 and this was the thing that I thought was most interesting and I've been meaning to write this up and maybe I will after I talk about it here because uh, my mom came with me and she tried it my mom has a 17 inch MacBook Pro my mom has always been of the opinion that she has to have as big a screen as possible so she can see things and I've I've tried to explain to her that you know from a pixel standpoint that you can get more on a screen with a smaller screen because of the pixel density but but she's always felt that she needed a bigger screen and she fell in love with the 12 inch MacBook. She has decided that is going to be her next computer. In fact, I've already noticed her in the couple of weeks since she saw the MacBook Air telling me that she thinks that her current MacBook Pro may be having a little trouble and that she may need to replace it soon. Well, it is a battleship. The 17, they haven't made that one for a long time. No, but David, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, and I'm, and I'm like, yeah. really, really, mom, what's, what's wrong with it? She's like, I just I don't think it's doing very well. I think it might be on its last legs. I'm like, does, your, does your mom need a Mac at this point? I mean, it would not be enough. Okay. No, no, she does. She she and this is how she uses it. She she still likes using the OS. She still likes using a standard keyboard and she likes to sit on the couch and put her feet up on the ottoman and and watch TV and and browse the Web and do her online shopping and pay her bills and do those types of things. Well, one of the side benefits of this is because I do, I do that too. I sit on the couch a lot and, um, and I, you're learning way too much about me that I've got a little couch in my backyard and I've got a little fish pond back there. And you'd be amazed how much of my day I spend in the backyard working and on this little couch. And, and that 15 inch gets really hot on my lap, you know, and it's kind of heavy and kind of tedious with the new one. It, it just works really great. Um, one of the questions in the chat room is what about the performance? Cause I haven't really talked about that much. The performance is not super on this thing. It's, I guess there was a, um, at one point there was a, a benchmark that rated it next to a 2011 MacBook air. Although I did buy the upgraded one. I got the, the higher performance and the bigger hard drive. So, uh, but, but the thing I think about those performance tests is you're benchmarking the processor. You're not testing the RAM, which is much faster than it was in a 2011 computer, the bus speed, the SSD speed. I mean, Apple makes this thing fast where they can make it fast, but the processor is slower because the only way you get something that with that small a footprint is you have a, a smaller processor in it. Uh, what I've been doing with this computer is, you know, Scrivener, Ulysses, OmniFocus, Safari, Mail, whatever. And I have not noticed any performance problems at all. I have not tried to run iBooks Author in it, and I don't think I ever will. I'm not going to be recording screencasts on it, and I don't think I ever will. So the performance have been, has been just fine for me for the type of stuff I'm doing. If I was going to be using Final Cut, this would not be the computer for me. So um, that's, I guess that's the way, that's my position on the performance. It's fine for what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and going back to my mom for a minute, she loved the keyboard. She thought it was the best keyboard she's ever used. She thought it was better than any. I mean, so I think part of it's a personal preference. She personally prefers a keyboard with less travel. Yeah. So I think a lot of it's personal preference. Yeah. So uh, I think. But, um, but it is different. And the yeah. keyboard does take adjustments. So, so get it. And, you know, Apple does have a 14 day return policy and they won't, they will not, you know, slap your hand or scold you if you say, no, you know what? This just didn't work out for me. Yeah. As long as it's in, in good condition. You can't, you can't trash it and take it back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, but yeah, I, I think that's, and she, the other thing she really liked about it is that um, it will fit in that drawer that she, she has a drawer next to her couch. And she's like, that's where I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it in the drawer next she, to the couch. She can keep it next to her snap scan. <laughs> oh, and she, that's the other thing. And she said, do I have to plug my scan snap into this? Yeah, her snap scan. And I said, no, mom, remember your, your scan snap is wireless. She's like, 
excellent. So I can keep it in the drawer next to the couch and keep my scan snap in the in this closet. I said, yep. Okay, perfect. Done. And now all of a sudden her her 17 inch MacBook Pro, it's not working too good. She doesn't know what's wrong with it. I said, well, do you want me to look at it? No, you don't have to look at it. I, I think if you, you know, if you're out there saying, well, I don't really need one right now. And I think in a year they're going to be better. You're probably right. that That's always true. Um, the, the one USB port thing has not caused me any hassle yet um and there is a lot of stuff showing up on on amazon already and kickstarter campaigns i, I think there's going to be a ton of of usb-c connectors very shortly but uh i'm generally happy with the computer i mean it's, it's a second computer i would not recommend it as my only computer for the kinds of things i do but it may be just fine for your mom yeah and um it's you know, perfect it's perfect go, for go her. check it out i mean uh I, the, the keyboard isn't as for me, the keyboard is not a deal breaker, but I, I'm not a super fan of it either. Like if they said next week, hey, guess what? All the keyboards are now going to have this amount of travel in them. I'd be a little disappointed. Um, so the one thing that I'm playing with this week is, you know, I gave you all kinds of grief about the Hue lights. Uh, yes, you did. I don't. I, I ordered a set of Belkin Wemo lights. Because they just announced two things this week. One, they announced a price drop, so they cut their price in half. The Belkin Wemo starter kit for two light bulbs, uh, these are 60-watt light bulbs, as well as the the little hub, uh, dropped down to $50. And they also announced that, um, or three things, they announced compatibility with If This Then That, they announced the price drop, and then they also announced a partnership um, with Cree lights. So Cree also makes a connected set of lights. So you can buy supplemental Belkin lights uh, for your kit, and they run about $25, but the Cree connected lights run about $15 at Home Depot. So now you're getting smart lights for 15 bucks. And I thought, gosh, you know, $50 for a starter kit, and then I can go buy supplemental lights for 15 bucks. Yeah, I think I think I kind of would find a use case for some smart lights in my home for, you know, 50 bucks for the start and two lights and then $15 thereafter. So um, I picked up the, the Belkin Wemo lights and I, uh, I'm i probably going to pick up some. I installed them in my garage of all places. I know that sounds like a weird place, but I've got a motion sensor in there. And so I wanted the light in my garage to come on when I when I walked in there. If I wasn't turning on the door, if I just wanted to walk in and go get something, I wanted the light to turn on. So I've, I've got them installed in there. Uh, and then the other thing that I got to go with them is an app called the Quick Switch app. And Federico Vitici pointed this out to me. It's a it's an iOS app. I think it's $2.99. I've got a link to it in the show notes. And what it is, is an app that allows you to quickly um, add Wemo devices and switch them on and off. And you may think, well, the Wemo app allows you to do that. And it does. But here's the thing is the Quick Switch app has a um, has a widget that goes in launch. Oh, it's not called a widget. What's that thing that the launch bar thing? N- notification center. Yeah, a notification center. It has a widget that goes into the notification center. So I can add my most used Wemo switches to notification center. So I've got my bedroom light, my bedroom fan, my foyer light, and my kitchen uh, now in notification center, which is great. Yeah, the um, the uh, with the Hue lights, they've got they've got that widget in notification center. There's also some third party apps that do that as well, and and they're on the they're on the watch now, which is kind of cool. I've got a I can go on my watch and turn my lights off and on, which is kind of fun. Yeah, I think Quick I, Switch is on the watch too. I, I'm a little disappointed that HomeKit hasn't really got sorted out yet. You know what I mean? Because I've got multiple devices. You and I just did a show on, on the um, uh, this week on, was it Clockwise for also on the Relay Network? We talked about 
smart things. And I've got all these different devices and I, I was hoping HomeKit can kind of tie it all together. And it seems like it's a little slow on the upswing. It hasn't really happened yet. And, and like, I'm going to be putting in my own home alarm system. That's going to be kind of home kit smart. Once I figure out which devices I want to use, it just feels to me like this is taking longer than it should to get this home kit, kit stuff all figured out. Cause you know, the, the dream is all these devices will work with one common interface that Apple provides through home kit. I can just use Siri to turn the lights on and it hasn't really happened yet. I, I still think it's coming and I know, I know Wemo has announced preliminary support for it, but it's not here yet. Maybe we'll hear more at WWC. But yeah, I hope so. But we heard about it last year and uh, we haven't had a lot of progress since then. Well, I, I think it's coming too, but it, it makes it hard to kind of make buying decisions when this is all up in the air. Yeah. All right. Well, we've gone a little bit over our standard allotted time as we tend to with these shows, but uh, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode. Uh, and there are a lot of them because we covered a lot of ground uh, in our show notes this week. That's at relay.fm slash MPU slash 256 for this particular episode. You can also find a link at that website uh, to contact us if you want to submit your own feedback. Remember, keep it under two minutes. And, and unless you're Matt, try not to be skateboarding, skydiving or jackhammering when you do. Yeah. And uh, if you want to send us feedback, send it to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can find us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd and I am at Mac Sparky. Um, so this is our live show. So it's it's releasing in the middle of the week. And we've been hearing from a lot of people saying, hey, when are you going to have Merlin on? Guess what? This weekend, you're getting your Merlin show. Oh, so, man, you're spoiling it for him. You're telling him Merlin's coming. I'm telling him. I'm telling All him. Right. Well, you never know, because when we when we are recording, you never if there may be a problem. I don't want to promise this one is in the can. It's awesome. In a few days, you're going to have a lot of fun. OK, Merlin's coming. We'll tell you Merlin's coming. We'll, we'll see. We'll see Merlin and us and we and Merlin and David and I. Oh, my gosh. It's the end of the show. I'm, I'm so done with this. We, we will all three of us see you next week. So take care and we'll see you then. 